Sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne makes all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, thy wings shall my petitions bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word, and trust his grace. I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, may I thy consolation share. Till from Mount Pisgah's lofty heights I'll view my home and take my flight. This robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize. And shout while passing through the air. Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of Well, the last few weeks, we, uh, well, it's not been the last few. It's been a while ago now, it seems. But we noted that even though we're saved, we're still going to grow a little faint. We're still going to become a little weary. We may even fall from time to time. And so we're in the midst of our uh, final lesson, if you will, in Secrets of Successful Living, Life on the Highest Plane. And boy, we realize and we recognize that sometimes we're not living on the highest plane. And so we've been discussing and addressing that issue. How do we live on the highest plane? And uh, so we've learned a number of things along the way. And uh, we realize that the primary reason for failing in the Christian life is ignoring the resources which are at our disposal. 
And uh, the secondary cause is, uh, is failure to tap those resources. So we have them at our disposal, but unfortunately at times we don't tap the resources. We don't use what God has given us. And so a lot of times we're just downright busy trying to find our own solution, trying to figure out our, our own problems, trying to come up with a, a, a way to overcome them. When in reality, God has a way and God has a purpose and God has a plan and he wants us just to lean on him and trust him. And uh, we said, what's the result of waiting upon the Lord? Because waiting on the Lord is the key, isn't it? Getting in his presence and allowing him to have his way in our life. Really listening to what he has to say. Seeking his face. I mean, how many decisions do we make when we really don't consult the Lord? You know, I mean, if you really want to get down to it, sometimes we kind of categorize our decision-making. Well, this one's a, an important decision. Well, this one's not so important. And I make this decision all the time, but I don't need to consult God on this one. This is eh, pretty basic. I got a good feel for this one, a good understanding. Well, uh, I think we'd be better off in most cases to just say, well, you know what? It doesn't hurt to ask. And just pray and ask the Lord to give us some leadership and wisdom in those areas. And so we went on to say, what is the result of waiting upon the Lord? If we'll wait on the Lord, if we'll truly put ourselves in a place to hear from heaven, what's the result of that? Well, we said that our passage presents a fourfold result, according to verse 31, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Turn there, would you please? And we said we, it's important that we note the emphasis on the four shalls in the verse. And so life on the highest plane is seen in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, in these four shalls. <clears throat> so let's take a look at them as we just read through it very quickly. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Again, we note those four shalls, shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings as eagles, shall run, and it goes on, shall walk. And we see that the, in reality, the life on, life on the highest plane is lived if we'll follow this prescription, if you will. We touched on the first one the first time we got together on this particular lesson, and we said, we shall have God's strength in place of our weakness. Right there it says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We said we shall have God's strength in place of our weakness. What kind of strength does he give us, we said? Well, physical strength, mental strength, moral strength, and spiritual strength. That's the kind of strength the Lord gives us. Well, tonight we want to begin by addressing the next ones. And so I want to start by saying we shall enjoy life above the average. If we will indeed wait upon the Lord... The benefit or the result of that is that we shall enjoy life above the average. Again, in Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Here it is now. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Well, that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? And so we're going to see we shall enjoy life above the average. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll continue. Father, thank you for this time together. Speak to our hearts through the word. May you just encourage us. Lord, thank you for our theme this year. Lord, there's nothing special about in the sense that it's, it's something we should be doing all the time. It's something that we're aware of consistently. As from the time we became a Christian, we knew it was important to pray. But Lord, thank you for the emphasis we're going to be placing on it and the opportunity that we're going to have to practice it. 
Now, Lord, be glorified in our church and in our own lives and our own families even. Be magnified. You're so worthy of it. In Christ's name, amen. When we wait upon the Lord then, the Bible says we're going to mount up with wings as eagles. And the idea is that we're going to soar far, far above earth and its pressures. You know, you hear the song, the, the, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Well, I'll tell you what, that's what happens whenever we truly do get into his presence. When we allow ourselves uh, to uh, just um, wait on the Lord, one of the benefits is that, man, we're going to rise above our circumstances, rise above our problems. Do you know that an eagle can uh, be found flying as high as a mile up in the sky during migration? That's amazing, isn't it? A mile. If I recall correctly from my school days, that's 5,280 feet. Again, I, I don't know. It's been a long time since I had to remember that number, but for some reason that one stands out. I got to believe that's a long ways, isn't it? That's a lot of football fields. That's a lot of distance. That's four times around a, a normal track at the high school, straight up in the air. That's a long ways. You know, there's little chance of the eagle being hit by a car or being somehow injured by somebody passing by, isn't there? No, you know what? About the only thing that'll ruin his day is a plane that has the same flight plan. That's about it. Otherwise, I mean, he's pretty good shape up there, isn't he? And you know what? The truth is, is that you and I belong to heaven. But when we start thinking about the Lord Jesus, we think about what God has for us, and that we belong in heaven. I mean, that we are a heavenly, uh, we are already in heavenly places, seated with Christ Jesus. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. We belong to heaven. Right now we do. We don't have to be uh, bound by this earth. We don't have to find ourselves hopeless in this place we live in. Notice what it says in Philippians 3, verse 20. He says, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The implication and what's being applied, implied there is that we are citizens of heaven. That our conversation, our lifestyle, our actions, our attitude ought to be reflecting our citizenship. And so we are citizens of heaven and we're not bound to this earth by the chains of this life. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life I feel extremely weighed down. I mean, I feel the burden of life and the burden of this world on my shoulders. Problems and situations and circumstances that have a tendency to weigh me down. But the truth is, is that I got to remember all the time, I'm an eagle. I can fly above those problems. Why? Because I'm a child of God and I'm a citizen of heaven. Boy, it's, it's, you know what? It's easy to forget that from time to time. See, we're no longer tethered to this earth. And um, years ago, we used to play a game called tetherball. I don't know, if everybody. Knows, how many of you know what tetherball is? Oh, even the young people, that's good. Now, you'll get it then, right? It, it's, it, and of course, it requires a post that's cemented into the ground. At least when I play it is, because if it's not, it's coming out. But anyway, it, it's a post that's uh, cemented into the ground. And then uh, connected to that post is a rope. And on the other end of that rope, there's a ball tie. And so that ball hangs down from that rope on that, that pole. And, and then you take that ball, and the object is to somehow get that ball all the way around until it wraps up completely onto that pole. Well, you got somebody opposing you on the other side. 
And so you hit the ball this way and they hit the ball that way. And the whole time the ball stays down here this way. It's called tether ball. It's tethered. It's, it's tied down to this earth. It's tied down to that pole. It's not going anywhere. You can hit the ball as hard as you want. It's never really going to go anywhere. It's going to stay right there within the length of that rope. That's all there is to it. Just keep on snapping around that pole. Have you ever got your hand caught in between the pole and the... Yeah, that's good times, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. That'll, that'll leave a, a mark, and that'll certainly leave a memory in your, your mind. But uh, it's not going anywhere. Hit that ball as hard as you want. It's not going anywhere. We call it tethered ball. It's, in a sense, tethered to the earth, if you will. It's going nowhere. You and I are to soar above, soar high above, really, our cares and our concerns in this world. But too many times we allow ourselves to be tethered to this life by our jobs and our relationships, our entertainment, our activity. We allow ourselves to be tied down by those things. Well, I'll tell you, we've spent the... Uh, it's been the last couple of months, and it seems we've been going through a transition with our finance here at the church, trying to implement a new system and talking about uh, retirement, talking about uh, health care, and talking about all kinds of stuff, taxes, and trying to deal with all of that with the staff and everything. And I'm going to be frank with you. I'm about sick up to here talking about money. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I'm going to tell you why. Because it consumes you. It consumes you. I mean, if you're, if, if you're not careful, you, all you can think about, every time I think about a dime that comes in, I think about what the government's going to get now. I don't like living my life worried about money. I hate it. There's too many more important things. But can I tell you, you can get tethered down by the least, by, by anything. And that just have to be money or material things. It could be a relationship. It could be anything. And it causes you to be stuck here on earth when you should be soaring above your, your, your uh, situation and your problems. You, you find yourself burdened down by them. Boy, we got to be careful we don't get weighed down. So the Bible talk about getting rid of those weights and the sin which does so easily beset us, right? Run the race. How many of you have ever had a helium balloon? You got them helium balloons, you know? You know, the interesting thing about a helium balloon, you better have a string tied to it. Why? You know what happens? You cut that string or you get let go of that string, where's it go? Straight up, right? You know, I wish, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? If you, have you ever taken one of them helium balloons and you, you, you bust it open and you go, I'm sure today if you do that, you're probably going to get cancer within three weeks, so kids don't do that, right? You know how it is. Everything's bad for you today, right? But anyway, you go, and you go. And, you, and I mean, you're talking normal, but it's coming out all weird, right? You know? Now listen, as a Christian, you know how we ought to be? We ought to be like that, that, that helium balloon that, that we ought to just kind of cut ties with the world and go up. But also, on the same token, we ought to be like that helium balloon. And when we, we take a little, you know, a little of that helium in, boy, I tell you what, changes our attitude, changes our outlook. Sound, even the way we sound ought to be different. Man, life ought to be a little bit lighthearted in our case. I understand that things can get pretty heavy duty, but we ought to live life a little bit more lighthearted. We're so miserable so many times. And I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about me even. I allow the world to get to me sometimes. I allow the burdens to get to me. Man, we got to be careful we don't let that happen. Boy, Christ and heaven need to be reality to us. We need to work at this. 
Here and now we're raised up together in Christ, the Bible tells us. Turn to Ephesians 2, 6. A lot of times, I just mentioned it here this week or so, I think I said something about the fact that we're living eternity now. Sometimes we look at eternity as though it's down the road. In reality, we're living in it. See, the moment you got saved, you, became, you got everlasting life, right? So really, you're already living in eternity. You're never going to die anyway. You're already living it. But we, we fail to, to remember that. We lose sight of that reality. And somehow we still think there's an end to, this, to, to life. There's no end to our life. Okay, this physical body may stop, uh, the heart may stop beating, but, but we're, but we're, we're going to live on forever. We don't die. Physically maybe, but not, not spiritually. We are alive. And, and we put so much emphasis on the physical. Notice he says here in Ephesians 2.6, and hath raised us up together. Ephesians 2.6 hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you know what the point is? He's trying to say to you, you know where you're really at right now? You don't realize this, but you're already there. So he's saying, you may not get it, but you need to live it. You need to understand it. You need to, you need to reckon this to be so. You're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's not some place you'll be one day. You're already there in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Man, don't permit yourself to be earthbound. Don't be hopping around on the ground like a bird with a broken wing, when in reality God intended you to fly, not to hop. Boy, we can live our lives on a higher plane. But that's up to us. It's really our decision. I I mean, we can choose to uh, wait on the Lord or we can choose to live life in our own ability, our own strength, trying to find ways in and out of our problems, bear our own burdens, handle our own issues. Or we can say, God, I can't do it. I need you. And I'll tell you what, we need to learn to practice his presence, and we need to learn to to take everything to God in prayer, like the song says. Not only that, but we see here that, first of all, the result of waiting upon the Lord, we shall have God's strength in place of our weakness. But then we said tonight, we shall enjoy life above the average. But you know what? Also, he goes on to say, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. You know what? If we will wait upon the Lord, the result of that will be that we shall do supernatural things. Supernatural. You know, we shall run and not be weary. That that sounds kind of interesting. I mean, how many of you go out and run and not get weary? You know what I mean? Some of these young kids are like, I can run all day long. (laughs) Yeah, right, whatever. I'm going to put you on a track and run you and see how that goes. Even though you're young. I mean, how many of you ever had that pain in your side? I mean, you're running along and next thing you know, you're like, oh, what's that? (laughs) You know? 
And you're thinking, man, I'm young, I'm in shape. What is that, that, that sharp pain in my side? Now, I haven't had that pain in a long time. I don't know if it's because I'm in such good shape or that I don't push it. It's probably the latter, but nonetheless, I ain't had that pain in a long time. You know what? I don't even know if some of the young people have ever even had it, to be honest with you. How many young people have had a pain in your side from running so hard and so fast? At least four of you. That's good. Notice I said at least four. There might have been a few others. Hey, listen, I'm telling you what, you know what I'm talking about. It gets to hurting. You know, it's not natural to keep running and not feel weary. That's just not natural. See, God promises supernatural power for the accomplishing of supernatural tasks. Isn't that amazing? That's a wonderful thing. We are a supernatural people. Do you get that? Think about that for a minute. A supernatural people. Why? Because we're connected to a supernatural God. His power is available to us. He's supernatural. That means we are too. John chapter 7. Turn there, would you please? John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Verse 38. The Bible tells us, he that believeth on me, the Lord Jesus, of course, speaking here, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Look at John 14, 12 now. Just to the right, just a little bit. 14, 12. I've got orders to end on time. My wife's in the nursery. John 14, 12. The problem is I got one more, one more point, and I'm really struggling because I want to get to that one because that will close it out. So pray for me. So anyway, verily, verily, I send to you, chapter 14, verse 12. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. What? what? Did, did I just read that right? I must have read that wrong. Verily, verily, I send to you. The Lord speaking again. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. What kind of works did Jesus do? Supernatural works. And greater works than these shall he do. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? Greater works than these he shall do. Because I what? Go unto my Father. See, the Lord assures us that our potential increases dramatically by his leaving. You get that? The truth is, someone says, boy, I sure wish I lived in Jesus' day. The fact is that more can be done today than was ever done when he walked the earth. That we're capable of more than his own disciples were when he was on the earth with them. You say, I don't believe it. Well, the Bible says it. He says, greater works than these shall he do. Greater works than these. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd feel like it was pretty great if I could heal some leper. I'd feel it was pretty great if I could take somebody who's blind and heal them. It'd be pretty great if I could take somebody who couldn't walk or, or talk or hear and I could help them with their hearing, their eyes, or their, their ability to walk. I think that'd be a pretty great thing to do. But he goes on to say this. He says, greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. How is it that he can promise that? See, as Emmanuel, God with us, 
He submitted himself to much of the natural world and therefore he was limited in his opportunity to some degree by his own volition, mind you. With his departure, though, came a promise. You know what the promise was? A comforter. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Expedient. What does that word mean then? He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. What does that mean? What are you trying to get at, Jesus? He says expedient. Fit or suitable for the purpose. Proper under the circumstances. Some synonyms for, ex, ex, for this word expedient are this. If you look up synonyms, which are words that are, are different words that have the same meaning. Okay? Here's what the words are. Advantageous. Desirable. Feasible. Judicious. Opportune. He's saying then, in essence, it is advantageous for you that I go away. It is desirable that I go away. It is feasible and judicial and opportune that I go away. Why? Because when I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. You want to know something with the Comforter? You'll be able to accomplish more than you can with just me being here in my limited condition as a man. I can only be with you. And then I can only be with you. I can't be with all of you, but I will be. My work is limited to where I stand right this moment. But one day when he comes, it'll expand through every one of the believers and all of my children. Every one of you can do that. Be even more accomplished than ever. Greater works than these. Not only will you heal the flesh in that sense, but more importantly, you'll heal the spirit. The soul of man. John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In Acts chapter 180 says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. For the believer possesses the, the supernatural indwelling of the Spirit of God. And the truth is, it's only when he controls our every movement and every member that we can do mighty works on God's behalf. You might be strong tonight. You might be very smart. You might have a lot of ability. But the truth is, Without me, ye can do nothing. That's what he says. And the implication here, and even in our passage here, is that the Holy Spirit of God is the one who empowers and enables us to accomplish supernatural things. But as we allow ourselves to bask in his presence, draw nigh to him, we'll be in a position to do the supernatural. We connect to his power and his person. Finally, one last thing in Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We already saw that we shall have God's strength in in place of our weakness. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. We shall enjoy life above the average. 
They shall run and not be weary. We shall do supernatural things. And they shall walk and not faint. Get this one. We shall live victoriously in the hardest place of all. In the daily routine of life. Did you, you said what? Yeah, I, I said that we shall live victoriously in the hardest place of all. In the daily routine of life. You know, thousands gather in stadiums around the world to watch men and women run races. I mean, we wait in anticipation for the gun to go off and at that moment the runners explode out of the blocks. I mean, down the track they sprint speeding ever faster toward the finish line until finally, finally one of them breaks the ticker tape. And then the crowd erupts in applause. Woo! In the same manner, we kind of get all fired up and excited about the supernatural, don't we? Oh, it's easy to get excited when God does a miracle that's obvious. I mean, when he does something that's supernatural and he uses us to do it or the church or maybe it's in an altar call or maybe it's in a Sunday school class or something, we get excited and we say, whoa, that's awesome. We love to be a part or privy to the impossible, don't we? Those highs are exciting and they're wonderful. However, they are rarely sustainable. For the most part, our lives could be characterized more accurately as a walk than a run. See, no one gathers in a stadium to watch folks leisurely walk around the track. Hey, come see me walk a 20-minute mile tomorrow. Nobody's going to watch. What? Going to do what? I I think I'll pass, okay? Got more important things to do than sit for 20 minutes and watch you walk around a track four times. That's boring. That's so boring. I mean, there is. There's nothing thrilling about that. However, it is more realistic as a whole when you compare it to what the Christian life is really about. See, our passage states, we shall walk and not faint. We'd all like to be able to run more often, but more than not, walking is going to dominate our lives. That's the reality. Now, when you're young, you can do a little bit more running, but as you get older, that doesn't happen as much. I remember when I was in the military and we had to go to to chow or to to food, you know, to to eat at the, the mess hall. Man, you had to run everywhere you went. Okay, guys, let's go. We're going to go on down there and eat something. All right. We'd eat. All right, let's go back to the barracks. Everywhere you went, you're running. And then unless you got some big old pack on your back, and even then every once in a while they want to try to see how much you can handle. Come on, guys, let's do a little sprinting. This pack weighs 70 pounds, sir. Don't call me, sir. I work for a living. The sergeants, they're weirdos. You run everywhere. But you know what? That's not how it really works in life overall, is it? You walk. See, the greatest testing place for each of us is the place where we engage in the trivial and the common tasks. The normal routine of life. I mean, consider Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. And Enoch walked 
with God. And he was not, for God took him. In Psalm 37, 23, the Bible says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Somebody's taking steps. Somebody's walking. And that is really what the Christian life is characterized as. Sadly, however, many find themselves off track and in a ditch somewhere, spiritually speaking, because they struggle to remain on the narrow way and simply walk. I mean, the bigger and the better mentality has somewhat consumed our thoughts, our minds. It's corrupted us as believers. So it's only going to be something that tickles our fancy, that, that kind of excites us. And it's not good enough just to go to church and just to read my Bible and just to pray and just to do this. I mean, I need something that's going to get me fired up. Sadly enough, years ago, this attitude or this idea of spontaneity and romance came into play. And everyone's like, my husband just always just goes to work, come home, blah, 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 blah. I wish he was a little more spontaneity, had more spontaneity. I wish he was a little more spontaneous. I wish he was just a little more romantic. You ought to be lucky he's at least providing. This idea that you need some guy to walk in the door every day and grab you and, huh, huh, and you, whoa, wow. Not only is that unrealistic, as most of you ladies know, but it's not very practical, is it? But the problem is sometimes is we get the idea, and sadly enough, we even as believers have looked at things, watched things, listened to things, read things that we shouldn't, that we got the idea we're missing out on so much. There's got to be something better than the mundane. There's got to be something better than just going through life, just doing the basics. But let me tell you something. The Christian life is about walking, not running. The Christian life is built upon a rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means we can only run so far before we step off the foundation and into trouble. i got to have something new in my life, preacher. can't take the old. It's too boring. It's not, I need something new. I need something new. You know what you're going to be? In trouble. The Christian life is rarely glamorous. You know, our role isn't the glory seeker in the Christian life. To use a football analogy, we are rarely the quarterbacks or the wide receivers who find themselves in the end zone going over there, doing their little, you know, smashing it and going, you know, whoa. I mean, that's not the stuff that we get to do as Christians. That's not us. You know who we are? We're those offensive linemen that are sacrificing life and limb and get no pat on the back in return. That's the Christian life. I don't like that. Well, you won't make a good Christian then. If you and I hope to experience victory and life on the highest plane, we have to learn to be content with the trivial and the common tasks. In other words, we've got to be content to walk. In his article, The Road to Success is Boring, and that's okay. Daniel DiPiazza begins by pointing out that he wasn't always all in in his business early on. He found every excuse in the book, he said, to avoid the office or postpone a client, client pitch. There's had to be some, I'm going to spend time with my girlfriend, I'm going to go over here, I got this to do. I mean, it's Friday, I mean, it's time to get off and enjoy myself. And uh, I know I should meet with this client, I know how to do that, but ah, it's, a, it's Friday. Ah, that's just, you know. And he made every excuse in the book. And then he goes on to say this, then one day, 
I said enough. Enough. Enough half-stepping. Enough almost-dones. Enough treating this like it was just a hobby. He said, I realized that if I wanted to start making real money, I had to start putting in real work, even when I didn't feel like it. Especially when I didn't feel like it, he goes on. He said, here's something counterintuitive. The road to success can be boring, he said. It can be boring. Yes, it's fun to enjoy the spoils of hard work. But the actual work, the daily grind, is going to be boring sometimes. He put that in all caps, by the way, that word boring. It's going to be filled with repetitive tasks that don't seem to be making a difference. But that adds up when you do them day after day, week after week, month after month. Boring, but so worth it. He goes on to say, yes, the journey is hard. But if you stay focused on the right things, results are bound to happen. In fact, I'd even say that the most overlooked key to massive success is to stay consistent with your work, even when it's boring. Even when you don't feel like it, he says. The majority of believers will never experience the best that God has for them and live on the highest plane because they grow impatient in the journey. They get tired of doing the mundane. They get tired of just doing the the things that are necessary and needful. You know, I mean, it's boring to read your Bible, study the Scriptures, and memorize the Word. It's boring again to attend church week in, week out. It's boring to always be in your place and doing the right thing and what's expected. It's boring living a life of sacrifice and service. It's boring always being on time and being dependable. It's boring. It's boring. It's boring. Can I tell you from my perspective... Success is anything but boring. If you can get past the, quote, boring part, as the author stated, boring, but so worth it. I See, I don't think it's boring. I don't think it's boring to have an intimate walk in relationship with the Lord. I don't think it's boring to experience victory in the lives of those that you've invested in. I don't think it's boring celebrating another year of happy marriage. I don't think it's boring attending church with those you've led to Christ. I don't think it's boring living in a home that's marked by love, consideration, and mutual respect. I don't think it's boring worshiping with your grown children in church. See, I don't think those things are boring. Success, in my opinion, is anything but boring. But can I tell you that we are on the verge of wrecking and ruining our lives because we think there's got to be something a little more exciting in the Christian life. And if it's not that exciting, I'm tired of it. I'll find something that is. I'm going to tell you what, we're destroying our lives, we're destroying our marriages, we're destroying our homes because we're not content with the mundane. We're not content with just living the Christian life. It's boring. It's one step after another. It becomes a grind at times. It's not always fun, and it isn't. But it's always worth it. Dr. A.B. Simpson, he would frequently get alone in the presence of the Lord and he would say, I'm a failure. 
I have no strength and no life. But thou art my life. Thou art my strength. Thou art my victory. Then by faith, he would take in the life of the risen Lord. Surely this is what is meant by wait upon the Lord. And the result is life on the higher plane. You and I will never be successful in our Christian lives, nor will we ever experience the supernatural like we want until we realize we have to continue to consistently walk the Christian life and live it. But it begins first and foremost on our knees. The fact is, is that the victory is won right here. For every one of us that are dissatisfied with our Christian life, it's because our expectations are not scriptural. For every one of us that don't think God cares, it's because we don't know what the Bible says and we don't believe what it says. We may know what it says, I guess, but we don't believe it. It's important that we realize that God wants us to be willing to do the mundane. It doesn't have to be exciting. It doesn't have to be a sprint. It can just be a consistent walk. Don't let the devil tell you your marriage isn't good because it isn't always fireworks. Don't let him tell you that that your kids aren't, aren't what they ought to be because they can't run a 40 in under five seconds or dunk a basketball when they become a 10th grader or because they don't have any desire to play sports, but they'd rather maybe just go soul winning and be a part of the church. Hey, listen, don't, don't lose sight. Well, my family, my kids aren't getting the kind of education I'd like them to get. Are they doing what God wants them to do? That's what I want to ask you. And if they are, why don't we just say, you know what? In eternity, that's all that'll really matter. I'm not saying they're being lazy or undisciplined. I'm saying they're doing what God wants them to do. That's the key to life. Knowing what God wants and then following it and pursuing it with all your might. Instead of praying so much about getting a good job, we ought to be praying about finding the will of God and the plan of God for our life. We're not living on the highest plane because we're so tethered down and burdened down by this world. We need to cut the string. We need to head upward. We need to let God carry our burdens instead of us. We need to let the Lord live his life through us. Life on the highest plane. It begins on our knees and in the presence of God, waiting upon Him. Father, we come to You. We thank You again for this time together. Help us, Lord, to to really get in Your presence and know what You want and have for us. May we not be content to just simply have what the world says is success. May we have a longing and a desire to know what You want for us and then With all our might, pursue it, chase it, reach after it. Lord, we need you now tonight. Be glorified in us. May we honor you in Christ's name. Amen.